Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the blasphemous of Extreme Metal Podcasts. Mm. I am the death metal guy, a.k.a. mysterious individual behind secretive black metal project Mola revealed Garth Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) And I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. getting Bob Marley tattooed on my upper inner thigh. For ja people, of course. <laughs> I kid you not, I saw that guy yesterday. Uh, why was uh, his upper inner thigh visible? Because he was wearing, you know, like these short act workout. I don't know, like fucking Zoomers wear really short shorts. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Zoomer thing. It's the culture now. <laughs> yeah. I guess not all of them. Some of them wear like giant Jinko shorts or whatever. But he was definitely just like sunning his tat oh man speaking of jinkos uh i i I was out with my girlfriend the other day and uh we saw a band called polka dot cadaver um like a lot of fun it's kind of like the follow-up band to dog fashion disco which was a sort of weirdo alt rock mr bungle kind of thing back Mm -hmm, in the day mm -hmm. um so it's, it's it's pretty good music but the crowd there was a fascinating sort of like 1995 pre-new metal boom gas station attendant. It, 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 just fascinating. A sort of a, a, a breed. <laughs> a, a breed that we don't really find in metal or in hardcore, but in a, a sort of like perverse near mainstream territory between the two. I, 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 it just, I really huh. got a kick out of it. Pre-new metal gas station attendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like, if had they been around, so you mean like just? I mean, who liked Mister Bungle? Like people who liked Tool, right? Yeah, I don't think these people were smart enough for Tool for the most part. So why? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's. Is this like mindless self indulgence or something? I was gu- I was gonna say MSI, MSI was playing on the boombox, mm-hmm. and I think that and there were several people singing along with the song while it was on the jukebox. Okay. Uh, um. Uh, m- many of them smelled very bad. Uh, it, there was a, a mosh pit uh, at one point that sort of unleashed the smell into the crowd, like, you know, mm. uh, stirring a, a foul brew in a witch's cauldron. Yeah, that's uh, the most violent part of the pit. <laughs> most, yeah, yeah the, the, the stench was... Everyone was pretty out of shape, so I would say, yeah, I think that was the most compelling feature. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Jakob. You're listening to Terminus. And we are back with Grave Pilgrim. More like Grave Chilgrim. With <laughs> The Bigotry of Purpose. Out now on Death Prayer Records. So, um, has it been... Almost a year since our last review. I think it, about that, and those records were released a while before our review. Yes, yeah, we our last one was a big double header. Uh, it was um, we reviewed the self-titled Grave Pilgrim from 2021, and then the Molten Hands Reach West EP. That was what came out. Oh uh, yeah, that was when, the new thing. But we also that was the, the first album. Yeah. yeah. So um. But it feels so recent. It just it feels like it was just yesterday. Um, but the main main man behind Grave Pilgrim, uh, TB, uh, 
has been hard at work. Uh, he has more of a, fle- you know, I can't remember if it was strictly one man on the first one. No, there was always a drummer um, mm-hmm. and on this. So I guess the main men behind Grave Pilgrim. But uh, TB is the, you know, the song, the guitarist, the vocalist, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, he, they've, been, they've been hard at work and um, brought back a very strong record. But uh, let's get, get to the sort of background. Um, when we talked about those, those two records we reviewed before, um, it was clear we both just instantly loved the concept of this project, mm-hmm. right? which is sort of uh, uh, translating the spirit of uh, Scandinavian uh, black metal to the American West, specifically from the, uh, the frontier settler perspective. Um, and basically a sort of a Euro, a Euro-American genealogy. Um, the uh, Vinlandic approach to black metal. And uh, it, was, it was very clearly realized, uh, and it was evident throughout in the music, which had a ton of country and uh, bluegrass and uh, American folk hill music, as well as blues and rock and roll in it. Right. So in a way, that the overall vision epitomized the outlaw rock thing that we've been talking about. Um, in terms of the execution, right, he's a fantastic guitarist uh, with some just, like, A-plus riffs, especially the riff on fucking Plague Commando. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, strong, ear for, strong ear for melody and an ability to just improvise or do things that are like improvising to just play for extended sections in a freer way that you don't usually get in metal right so there's an openness to the music that would be more common in what you call guitar guitar guy music right? yeah. yeah the hard rock and prog rock of the 70s and whatnot um the songwriting uh, i think we both had some somewhat similar criticisms uh at times it could be overwrought and top heavy so on the riff by riff level i talked about riffs that would be um, riffs in the heavily influenced by Pass Noir and uh, the you know the Galal bands, right? Mm-hmm. So our uh, Argus Lent and GBK uh, that would be highly ornamented to the point where they kind of dissolve. The form loses clarity and it sort of becomes riffola. Mm-hmm. And one sort of blends into the next and whatnot, right? And we talked about that in context of the broader tendency towards riff fetishism, right? This mm-hmm. focus on every riff needs to be the most epic, awesome, catchy, uh, w- whatever riff, yeah. um, and excessive complexity. Uh, and and we also talked, and I think you especially highlighted long sections of this stuff that could become more like noodling and lose energy and the death metal guy memorably labeled some of these passages as a uh, gay french pirate music uh, <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad that that's stuck as a reference point <laughs> I've, I've never forgotten um and that's a that stuff specifically is inherited a lot from pest noir where it's part in in the context for them it kind of makes sense it's part of their sort of cabaret aesthetic and i think on on the grave pilgrim stuff it was supposed to be more you know uh hardened hardened cowboys and banditos and uh 
you know, murderers and... Yeah, and, a, a, a den of thieves at the saloon, you know. Exactly, yes. Uh, um, and so, it there conceptually, there was a justification for it, but we t- it thought it detracted from the songs, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, basically, it could get a little noodly and a little... Uh, um, and, and accidentally too decadent. Um, however, this record puts all that criticism to rest. Uh, this, uh, you know, whether intentionally or not, those that that is those criticisms are completely addressed. It, it's this is a an album of brilliant and searing focus, uh, and with songs that are written in a classic kind of extreme metal way to build and sustain intensity. The lack of fat on them would be familiar to anyone coming out of the death and thrash tradition writing black metal for the first time um, in the early 90s. Uh, the, uh, the song structures are still are complicated and nuanced, and you'll have things to say on that, but they're mm-hmm. also a lot simpler than they were before. There are none of the digressions uh, and energy sinks, and the riffs, uh, though still technically very impressive, are stripped down to essential form. You'll still hear things with more notes than, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's not Hellhammer, but uh, this is pretty, (laughs) this is... uh, There's a sophistication in the melody and whatnot that, that shows his pedigree as a guitarist, but these are riffs stripped down to essentials, and and that and all the stronger for that clarity of form. Um, and there's and there's a bit of a paradox here. It seems like the way he's gotten out of the riff fetish trap um, of focusing on ear candy is that he's returned to this core of black metal songwriting, which is riff as the basic unit of musical aggression Mm -hmm. or at least musical intensity and the songs are written instead of here's this elaborate hook melody here's that elaborate hook melody here's this one it's just riff 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 um and all the riffs are killer so that's my take on this um it's basically what i had been hoping to hear but delivered in a fresh and surprising way that I was not expecting. It, this this has a kind of it. It's like I couldn't know that I wanted to hear this record because it's there's an artistry and originality to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. It, it's uh, you know it it, it 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 in a meta sense fulfills your expectations and desires, but you wouldn't have been able to quantify those. In yes. terms of like, I want this riff, this riff, that yeah. It's it's the delight of surprise, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, and there there's stuff on this that I never expected him to do, which will both of us will get into. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's a really good record. It's uh, it's almost certainly one of the best records of the year. Um, I I I had to write something very weird in the notes, which is uh, 
<laughs> is it weird to say that like uh, this is one of my favorite records of the year and there's parts of it that still really frustrate me <laughs> which is which is interesting and you know that's sort of like artistically provocative in and of itself it means that he's mm-hmm. re- he does have a very distinct vision just like certain parts of it I I, I just don't agree with sort of fundamentally Fair enough. which is yeah. which is fine and uh, but I support you know these guys doing uh, exactly what they do um on a riff by riff level, it's going to be. Uh, if if an album was measured purely on the strength and the the average quality of its riffs, this would probably be close to number one, if not number one. Um, the the guitar style of this band has been refined to a point where I think it's going to be substantially influential in USBM, probably mm-hmm. for the next ten to twenty years. Uh, I, I think this guy has um, mastered this variety of sort of black metal meets Old West riffing, uh, and he's rivaled only by Maquahedal. And Maquahedal is actually not doing exactly the same thing, which I'll get into a little bit. Um, one thing that really struck me was that I, you know, before the. Before this record, the primary reference points I saw for this band in terms of riffing were oriented primarily around other sort of like scratchy but melodic, like best of Instagram black metal stuff. But here it's very distinctly Argos Lent. Um, yeah. Like, like more distinctly than before. I think a lot of the past noir has sort of been excised from the sound. Um, I agree. Of, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the holdover French black metal stuff. Well, I know we'll have a little bit of a, a discussion about that. I think it's been mostly excised, and we're seeing a a more concerted effort to make something purely American, which is always going to be referential to like French and Finnish styles of black metal because that's what's been the most influential over here uh, for for most black metal. Um, but now it doesn't feel beholden to some of those tropes. Um, so yeah, it's a, a and yes, as you were saying, the uh, the song structures have become streamlined, but not really less complex. Um, I that's think, a good way of putting it. Yeah, I I would say that what these songs really feel like to me are uh, sort of elongated heavy metal epics. Like if you can think of slightly compressed versions of Iron Maiden epics, that's what these feel like to me. I, um, there, there might be some maiden, um, some direct maiden influence on this record more so than the last. Yeah, I could, I could see that um, because these are very interestingly long, involved, uh, very sort of deliberately artistic and almost proggy metal songs, but they're also all fundamentally verse-chorus songs. Uh, which is really interesting. That is an 80s maiden at the height of their power thing is like we've got a 10-minute prog metal epic, but it's still oriented around catchy and direct verse chorus structures. There's just a lot of different verses. Um, I find that really interesting. Uh, Yeah, the title track, The Bigotry of Purpose, which doesn't come until the end, uh, has a direct sort of un... Untra- it has just a completely direct maiden lead on it as the main riff, mm-hmm. um, which is not, despite the maiden influence in uh, Galal stuff, you're not going to hear in an Argus Lent record. Yeah. Um, so r- real quick, I wanted I wanted to talk about the Argus Lent 
influence because Argus Line is a band that I've not really been into for a lot of years and I've been listening a bit more recently and I'm sort of like finding myself more grudgingly approving of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Argus Lent has fundamental structural problems in a lot mm. of ways. Uh, like like sort of riff fetishism going back to the same well of melody like too many times over the course of a song, etc. The songs can be bloated, but fundamentally they are really good songs. Um, and I think it's interesting what's happened with Arcus Lent as being like one of the most influential bands in this outlaw rock style uh, because back in the 2010s nobody was influenced by Argus Lent at least not directly maybe in sort of subtle ways through the path of other bands but that was always a weirdo record collector thing it was not a substantial part of the musical DNA of the style so it's interesting seeing so many people going back to Argus Lent and then finding it as it's had more influence on U.S. black metal bands than it has death metal bands, which yes. I find really uh, yes. interesting. You know, Arcus Lent are like grandfathered in as almost like a USBM band at this point, which is just such a, a, a striking thing. And I think further reinforces the idea that this whole outlaw rock thing is, is not black metal fundamentally anymore. Uh, you know, while a lot of the sort of riffing vocabulary originally merges from those uh, melodic black metal, you know, Euro styles, uh, fundamentally, the stuff we're seeing nowadays mm-hmm. is much more linked to a legacy of American bands, GBK and Arcus Lent foremost among them. Um, I, I see Outlaw Rock as kind of having taken two different colorations or appearances. Um with one style being the, well, I don't know, stop me if this is too ridiculous, but I see a, a sort of future-oriented style, um, which is the stuff that sounds a little bit more connected with uh, punk and hardcore and emo, and a sort of, um, not not looking backward in a bad sense, but a, a, a style that is fascinated by antiquity and American history, which tends to be more influenced by country and blues and bluegrass stuff. Does, does that make sense? That makes some sense. I mean, what's a good example of, do we have like a pure example of the futurist style yet? You'll have to remind me. I mean, I would say Olduwan is sort of like that. Yeah, although Olduwan's lyrics have a lot to do with the American past, but that's... Well, maybe more just... I, I can see what you mean, for sure. I can see what you mean. Yeah. Um, well, I basically say I mean, this... if you grandfather in, like... If you grandfather in, like, a pregnant light or something, you could call that, for sure. Yeah, um, that would be fair. And I, th- I think there are more and more bands that are appearing, like, in that milieu. I think that we're just... I think they're confused post-black bands right now, but they're 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 all getting it together. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're uh, outlaw rock curious. Um, yeah, so outlaw rock, they're they're questioning. Yes, um. exactly. That's what the Q's for. Um, <laughs> in outlaw rock, R O Q. Um, I I say all this to say that if there is a flagship band on the. Uh, the style that is more interested in history and American folk, it is now Grave Pilgrim. That is decided. Um, I have some quibbles with the record. We'll get to it, but obviously everyone should listen to this, and it's a highlight of 2023. 
Yeah, so I have some stuff to say about all of that and the Outlaw Rock label and all that, but we've talked for enough now, so we'll find some way back into it as we go. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Why don't we get to some of the samples? Let's Yeah, let's get to samples. First off, uh, I assume you knew I was probably going to pick this song. Probably. Um, second track on the album, this is the hit single. It's just a fucking banger. So up front, I'm just going to play the one that's like, yeah, the, the this is just um, a, a triumph of riffs. So let's listen to from one chorus to the next in the song The Yoke. goes essentially without saying that everything there is an A plus. Yeah, it's all it, great. Yeah, it's it's all phenomenal. That that chorus riff with that that little uh, dancing pull off. It, it's it's beautiful. It's like the best of Arcuslan's riffs. Uh, it, it conveys a tremendous amount of passion within an idiom that is you know uniquely American. It's it's just the apex. So, dumb guy question. Mm-hmm. Which is the chorus riff you're talking about there? Is it the riff that began the sample or ended it? So, uh, we come in right after the first chorus and we get back to it at the very end of the sample. 
With the dun 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 dun. Yeah, so yeah. you would say that the riff itself, even though there's not vocals. Wait, are there vocals over that riff? There's vocals over the back half of it that time. Okay. He, sometimes there's vocals and sometimes there's not, right. but the riff forms the chorus to me. The yes. riff itself is the chorus. Okay. Yeah, okay, That that's a great riff. So you think that's an. I, I feel like you could also nominate the riff that starts the uh, the sample as the chorus. Um, yeah, potentially. I think that there's a there's a few different ways to perceive these songs and like orient yourself, but mm-hmm. that's the one that jumped out at me, and I think it, because it comes up a third time, I believe, mm-hmm. later in the song, that's what you'll usually see is one super high energy, really brightly colored riff that'll appear three times over the course of the song, and that's sort of the anchor point to me. Yeah, okay, so tell me why that song, that riff is going to be influential through the ages. Uh, just the... Because I think this guy... You, 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 know, you know what I think has happened? I think a similar thing is happening with this guitar style on this record as uh, Shoutrog did with Sargeist. Um, these ideas have been present in this sort of style of music for a few years, but I think what Grave Pilgrim has done is presented it in a way that is immediately understandable to a guitarist mm-hmm. um, and something that can be replicated in the future by others. Um, and that is like, that's not meant to be backhanded. That's an incredibly important thing. We've had this technology, but now it's being made more accessible for people to play around with themselves. In the so same you're way- saying there's a version of that riff, say, right? So this guy can write riffs like that because he is basically as good at good as, as good at guitar as Galal is, right? Yes. But, but somebody he, else is not as good at guitar yes. as Galal. And so he's sharing sharing their riches. Basically. So he's presenting the idea in a, a slightly more streamlined, slightly simplified, but no less powerful way, in the same way that Shoutrog turned Finnish black metal riffs into something that we could take off the shelf and incorporate and iterate upon. Okay, so I, I think I hear that. Um, I think it's it's certainly like, well, you know my feelings about Sargeist. I mm, feel like this yeah. is this is certainly of a much um, a much richer and suppler material than Sargeist. For sure. But um, uh, but but I hear what you mean. There's definitely a quality of synthesis on this record. Um, a way I was thinking of it is throughout it there are. Um, throughout it there are like parts that sound like any of the other sort of big names of modern USBM as we've talked about Mm -hmm. right from uh, stuff like jangly riffs that remind me of Old One to uh, passages of sort of um, flourishing chording that remind me of Makuahedal to um Passages of sort of the sort of grimmer and more uh, grittier and more obscure stuff that reminds me of uh, Lamb's Bands, of Sanguine Eagle, and even of Hand of Glory. Yeah, uh, which I think we can both agree are spiritual predecessors to this style. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but I think it has. Yeah, that okay. That brings another thing up. But so there's a lot of um. There's bridges to all of these other bands that we've noted as uh, important, right? Um, you could add Finn, too, right? Yeah. There's stuff 
fun hair that sounds like Finn. Um, he's not trying to combine all these bands, but he's very aware of them, and he's interested in the same bands they are, basically, right? Mm-hmm. More or less, um, with his own specific focuses. Uh, and um, it's... Uh, I feel like what Grave Pilgrim is doing is the Gorgoroth moment of American black metal. Mm, okay. Right? Yeah. So, you know how, like, there's so, like, Gorgoroth has its unique virtues, and the, the when, to us old farts, you will remember how people from the original scene would refer to Gorgoroth as Johnny-come-latelys, basically, because yeah. they started in 94. Um, and, uh, the Gorgoroth records, you could argue, don't have the sort of wild eccentricity and mystique of some of the originators, mm-hmm. but they have their own thing, which is that they are just triumphant works of art, utterly complete and well-rounded, and they synthesize all the best parts of that other group of bands that shot off wildly in all these different directions and pull it together into a coherent... Uh, and um, just viscerally compelling vision. Mm-hmm. Also, if you hear crazy sounds in the background, that's my um, my warhound uh, spazzing <laughs> out on the floor. Um, he hears me talking about Gorgoroth, and he knows he must. Um, he knows he must worship. Yeah, sometimes um, we just like to say the name Gorgoroth. Gorgoroth. <laughs> anyway, so um, he was saying Gorgoroth in his own way, um, but the. Uh, this has a Gorgoroth quality. You could say Immortal did a similar thing um, on, you know, uh, Battles in the North, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, good good example. Yeah, Battles in the North and either the second, either Antichrist or Under the Sign of Hell, I feel mm-hmm. like are, whether depending if you're you, you or me, yeah. are like records where the Norwegian black metal sound is synthesized and in some ways it's... It, it, it's not as wild and wacky as uh, pre-Nightside Emperor or mm-hmm. uh, Catharian Life Code yeah. or anything like that, right? <laughs> but it's, um, but in some way, it's just also obviously better mm-hmm. and has aged uh, really well. Um, yeah, it's it's aged better than a lot of the second wave classics. It, it's aged really well. You just like those are you go back and listen to those records. Those riffs are still cutting edge, and they always will be. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and so this is not an. This doesn't have the eccentricity of the originator, right? Who of necessity stubbornly pursues a singular and narrow vision. That's mm-hmm. idiosyncratic. This has. This is the sort of masterpiece record of the the, the consolidator of a style, um, and uh, there's nothing eccentric or weird about it. It's just really fucking good. Which yeah. is just awesome, and <laughs> something we care we care a lot about craftsmanship and you know well well rounded artistry, right? This is really cool. Um, as um, as far as also the Sanguine Eagle comparison, what Sanguine Eagle has that a lot of the other outlaw rock bands don't have is that it's not remotely related to rock music. Mm-hmm. What he is interested in is the most um, stern unyielding aspects of uh you know slavic black metal and things like that um yeah and the weirdest most necrotic vile french stuff um and 
There's something about this record. I, I get what you mean that in a way it's a consolidation of the American style, but it feels much less rock and roll than the last one. It feels a lot of these are, although they have, say, the broader pentatonic uh, cording that we expect in this style, a lot of these are more like austere black metal riffs. And many of them have a thrashy quality that you would get in the early 90s. That's fair. I, th- I think that I would argue that there's a lot of rock tucked away subtly, um, especially in the guitar work, which is like it's it's reaching back to a lot of classic rock stuff, uh, at least to my ear. Like there's a ton of Zeppelin across this. That's true, but it's the parts of Zeppelin that sound like second wave black metal. <laughs> that's that's like, fair. Yeah. Like I mean, or rather, Zeppelin really parts of Zeppelin really sound like pagan black metal in this yeah, you know yeah. noble pagan black metal of the kind that has influenced this guy. Yeah, the the um, intersection of yeah. the, these various yeah. cultural ideas that yeah. that that eternally return, so yeah. to speak. I, I, but I totally hear what you mean. There is a lot of Zeppelin here. There, this guy could not take the rock and roll out of his plane if he tried. He's too good of a guitarist. Um, <laughs> it's a. Uh, there's there's rock and roll, there's blues, there's all, all of that stuff, but um, I do feel like there's been some reversion to a kind of black metal uh, austerity in the songwriting that I really appreciate. And I, I think, yeah, I I definitely understand where you're coming from on that. Um, I, I guess yeah. that it, at this point, the like it's structurally all together strikes me as sort of like black metal vocabulary being used to make different kinds of songs. I think that, yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, this is certainly not, this This ain't, This is certainly moving far beyond uh, the old black metal types, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's very different. I agree with that. Um, uh, so we should get to another sample. Um, of my two samples, this one is almost just both of them. Uh, because I have a lot to say about it. But this is, this is the song on the record that is the most traditional, uh, most traditional black metal song, probably. Um, and the closest to the sort of, uh, um, the sort of spiteful martial discipline that you found in Lamb's work. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I wish he could have heard this song. I don't even know if he would have liked it, but he would have had something to say. Um, so this is the archaic torso of Apollo. Um, this is... This this one really struck me. Um, so this is a setting of a poem that's pretty well known by uh, Rainer Maria Rilke. Um, that is a bold move, right? Not only is it a setting for a poem, which can be can go wrong, right? It can end up as pretentious, or it can seem like you just wanted to fill lyrics. But this is a very well known one, so you have to do justice to a masterpiece, and it has to seem like more than just a superficial name check. Um, and this, these guys knock it out of the park. Um, uh, the poem is short, so I should read it so you have it in mind. We cannot know his legendary head with eyes like ripening fruit, and yet his torso is still suffused with brilliance from inside, like a lamp in which his gaze, now turned to low, gleams in all its power. Otherwise, the curved breast could not dazzle you so, nor could a smile run through the placid hips and thighs, 
to that dark center where procreation flared. Otherwise this stone would seem defaced beneath the translucent cascade of the shoulders and would not glisten like a wild beast's fur. Would not, from all the borders of itself, burst like a star. For here there is no place that does not see you. You must change your life. <laughs> so, that is a, um, that's the poem. And basically the idea is, it, it's filled with paradox, but paradox that doesn't undermine itself. Paradox without irony. Mm -hmm. Um, basically the idea is all we have of this statue, early Greek statue of Apollo, is the torso. And yet, although we can't see the rest of the body, the rest of the body is just as present because of the sublime artistry of it, right? If not more present. And the paradox of, of the god's gaze, right? Apollo, god of burning solar, burning solar wisdom, right? In which his gaze, now turned to low, gleams in all its power. So somehow the fragmented thing, the piece of the thing, has projects outward the form of the whole and has the... And although muted, has all the power of the whole. And that is a, uh, you know, there's a kind of, um, there's a complete rejection of modern ideas about history there, right? A, uh, a forceful traditionalism in that. Um, and you can read the poem in several different ways, of course. You could read one in ways that privileged irony, that privileged fragmentation and loss or whatnot. But a lot in this poem lends itself to a very black metal interpretation. And that, that's what Grave Pilgrim gives us. Uh, there are two themes here, and they are, you could call them epic versus tragic. Um, and the whole song is based on the interplay of these two themes. Um, uh, the first is kind of an arrogant Argos Lent riff. So you've already drawn a lot of attention to that. Uh, just forceful and masculine and exuberant. And the second has a tragic striving quality to it. Uh, and um, pay a special attention to that one. I think that's the best, the best riff on the record, and just I've never heard anything like it, really. Uh, so we're going to start about 48 seconds in, after the A and B riffs have already uh, gone off once. So this is the... or riffs one and two, whatever you want to call them. This is, uh, this is riff one the second time into riff two the second time.
Yeah. Can does it still? Sorry, I was, I was listening to the song again. Oh. Um, uh, say, uh, say something. Hi, this is me. I'm reviewing. Oh, the great sounds film. great. Okay. Sounds great. Although your level is somewhat up. Uh, you want me to turn down slightly? Just a little bit, yeah. Otherwise, the people will be surprised. Gotcha. One second. I had to. I switched USB ports. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you got to change holes, man. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the order is more very important. I've been told, though I've never listened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You, yeah, you. How about now? We, mm. Say it something. Uh, I'm here. I'm here. I'm talking at my regular volume. That's turn up slightly, and then we're good. Okay. It was distorted by the fact that I had. I realized I had my volume up really high because oh. I was listening to this song. Check, check. I am once again speaking at my usual volume. That's good. Okay. So. Uh, count me off. Uh, yeah. So you finished with. Uh, we just played that, through the sample. Yeah. Well, and okay. So, all right. In three, two, one. Okay. So we end that sample on the uh, on riff two again. The the sort of the tragic theme. And uh, I'm just obsessed with that riff. And I've never entirely heard anything like it in, mm. in black metal. Uh, it it has a kind of a... You could hear it in classical music, maybe, right? But um, it's a strange riff. Um, it goes... So the weird thing is the... Um, it's got like a unusual amount of dissonance in it yeah there's there's some very chromatic stuff happening in that riff so i think what it's got it almost sounds like a bluesy thing but it's not um it's it's the use of the same thing like a passing tone you know how on the blues scale the tritone even though we in metal want to play Mm -hmm. that one the most it's a passing tone it's used for embellishment um it's this sounds like the passing it, it's that kind of passing tone but it start the whole sequence starts a whole step up not from like four to tritone to five mm-hmm. but it starts on the five and the riff starts with a stutter right mm-hmm. da, 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 da. there's this break in it which is really unlike classic black metal writing right which is the unbroken wall of trem or the unbroken wall of syncopated thrash riffing mm-hmm. right? um and it goes up to this chromatic ascent. So we go to mi- uh, from five to minor six, which is, of course, our other favorite interval, to, I think, to the major six. It just goes minor six to half a step up from that, and then to another half step up from that to a minor or flat seven. I guess I'm using minor and major interchangeable with, like, flat or whatever. Mm. Minor, you've, yeah, goes from a, from a five to a flat six to a six to a flat seven. Um, and it has this almost vertigo-inducing feeling. Mm-hmm. Like it's rising too fast um, in this odd way. It's almost queasy, but it's not. It has this extreme tension. And then the fact that it gets up to that flat seven, which is an epic solid interval, right? That's just a whole step below the root, makes it brighten as it moves. Uh, 
and you can hear him the important thing in a poem right is that the form of the poem on a structural level the poem should contain and body forth the the vision the content mm-hmm. right um and that Rilke's poem does that really well you can look at it on the page and see how it does it you can tell he took his task seriously uh Right, our TB in Grave Pilgrim. You can tell he took the setting seriously because the song does the same thing. It builds the image of the poem into itself on a formal level. So this riff, right? It's the that first rollicking Argoslent riff has all the kind of um, uh, you know, muscular, all the muscular illumination of the you know the solid torso of Apollo, right? Mm-hmm. And this second one has a, uh, this second one is broken up, literally, right? That stutter, it's a break in time. It's like an enjambment in in the poem. Uh, And then there's that ascent. It's a weird chromaticism. These are narrow intervals. They're not those big, epic, pentatonic, you know, intervals of the Argos Lent riff, right? Or that we normally turn to when we want those sort of, uh, you know, the classic triumphant riffs, as they say. It's it's this high-tension, kind of fractured, high-tension riff. And yet it's even more powerful than the first one. It's just the soaring passion of it. It it triumphs nonetheless. Uh, and it has, in that, it has the sharpness of broken stone. It has the sharpness of light. Especially the, the, that, the way the poem ends on the inescapable gaze of the pitiless sun god. Right? You, there's no place to hide. Um, and, and you can hear that there. Um, sh- sort of... Yeah, and, and, you know, then structurally, the, there's cool things that happen from here. Um, so if the whole song is built on the alternation between the epic and tragic or maybe even classical and romantic riffs, those first two themes, that's built into the riff itself. There's a fractal thing happening here. So the riff goes up. So it falls down, and it seems to end on a strong interval, right, a minor three. But then it falls a half step under the root. Da-da, da, right, resolving back to the root. Mm-hmm. And so there's more of that stress and fracture there, and the sense of, you know, crumbling and falling. And then the second repetition, as you would say, the B variation of the riff, you get a classic Franco-Finnish turnaround, resolves to the fifth, right? And then strum, right, punctuation in the riffing, that fifth becomes the first note of that really weird motif that launches it all. So you get motif, descent one, tragic descent, motif, descent two, epic resolution. Um, So it ends strong. Um, So it's like the contrast between the first riff and the second riff is reproduced within the second riff. And then the third riff Dum, 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 da, 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 dum. It's it's a stomp riff, right, with a kind of sinister French riff over top. Um, it's a much longer melody, but it's produced from the second half of riff two, from the tragic descent uh, on it, um, or actually from both variations on the descending phrase. 
Uh, and it too has the narrow interval, wide interval contrast. Um, and it just, it just keeps going. Uh, then we get back to a variation on riff one, which is an even more epic variation on riff one where it drops down to the root. Um, and then we get back to riff two. And finally, at the end of that, we get another whole new riff that is just riff three, but voiced in a new way. Uh, with a blast beat. Um, the song is extremely refined, and it has, on a riff-by-riff riff level, it has the fractal quality of the archaic torso, the way that the part produces the whole out of itself or contains the whole already. Uh, anyway, that's what I have to say about that. It's fucking brilliant. When I first heard this song, I could not, like... It was like a riddle I had to try to solve. You, you could Thanks for... You, you couldn't have done that at the end, and now now we gotta, like, I gotta be like, hey, let's talk about the production or something after that. Oh, well, that's nice, man. But no, let's, uh, let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about everything else, because it's a great record. You know what? You know what, Death Metal Guy? It didn't occur to me, because there's so much other good shit, that, there's so much other interesting stuff to discuss. That, that is... You have... That is very true about yeah, this. Yeah, you have other interesting things to say, so it didn't even occur to me. Let's go to your sample. <laughs> Not quite, but it's a, you, you touch on something that's important, which is every song really does, it's littered with highlight moments. Um, this is really a, a record that works really well between our two tastes. I mean, we, we agree on a lot of stuff, but we have slightly different emphases on mm-hmm. the way we like songs to be structured. Mm-hmm. Um you, you are into uh, stuff with a lot of consistency and uh, definitive sort of emotional arcs. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very preoccupied with narrative and, uh, and activity, you know, that there should be ear-catching things happening at a regular basis. You know, taking the best sort of impulses of pop songwriting and applying it to extreme metal. Mm-hmm. Um, Drama. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this record does all those things extremely well. You know, it, it's got very catchy, immediate stuff without ever seeming slight or enslaved to it. And for the most part, it can do very ambitious stuff without seeming, you know, bloated or inconsistent. Uh, it, it really I hear is, that. It has intensity and narrative. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really best of both worlds. I mean, it's like the best stuff that black metal produces. I think, I think mm-hmm. all of our favorite black metal bands sort of adhere to all those things at once. I mean, Gorgoroth that's certainly what, does. That, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Gorgoroth does, Take does, uh, Spite Extremeling does, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll talk about them more later. Um, so one thing that I got to say, because I got to tuck it in here or I'll forget about it. How, how do you feel about the production on this record? Well, um, I like it. Okay. I would be, I know in your notes you have some criticisms. I'd be open to hearing them, and I think I could uh, maybe meet you halfway. On, so I, I could un- see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. I think it's, um, it gives a lot of uh, room to the organic, to the picking Mm-hmm. In the guitar style, uh, to the uh, you get the jangling quality makes the strums really obvious and the inflection in the playing, and it's also kind of hot enough that uh, he can do feedback and shit, and that it doesn't sound weird when he does a wailing noise solo mm-hmm. or anything like that. Uh, there's like cool sound objects here, so so I like that. I mean, 
I, I could stand... The drumming sounds pretty good here, too. Uh, the the playing is great, uh, and it's not flashy, but it adds... Despite the muted production on everything, it adds a lot of intensity. That said, let's, let's hear what you have to say about it, and we can discuss. I have one other thing I could say about it that might be a positive or a negative, but let's hear what you have to say. Uh, so, so, I guess I don't dislike how this album sounds... Like I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it sounds good. I like listening to it. However, I would say this guy's literally too good a guitarist for this production. Interesting. I thought it highlighted the guitar skill, but what, what, what do you think? Why? I, I, I think that this um, sort of black metal wash is. I understand what you mean about the picking, but I think melodically, a lot of this stuff is coming out blurrier than it should. Um. I I think that I really love the riffs on this record and I want to be able to pick out the little flourishes more finely. And I'm just sort of wondering, you know, what this sort of fried production, you know, what expense does that have of being able to fully experience the really dynamic melodic stuff that's happening? Um, certainly it's audible and if I if I pay attention very closely I know where everything is but I, I just can't shake the feeling that I kind of want to hear Grave Pilgrim with like big production do you want to hear it with our Gosselin production kind of yeah I, I kind of want to uh, hear it like that or I just want I want to hear it with sort of a, a booming studio production because these songs would clearly work in that form um, I don't think they would lose anything from a more high-fidelity production, and I think when you've got music that's this ornate and sophisticated, you start hitting diminishing returns. Because, like, the, I guess it's a question of where the emphasis on this music is. This seems to be, at least to my ear, music that is so fundamentally driven by this sort of technical, detailed guitar work. Um, the production style just seems to be operating at cross-purposes with with how this music is built. It could be that he hasn't had time to think about the production. That's fair. He's producing You know what I mean? Lot. Yeah. It's like you just, they, they write a lot, they record a lot, and it might just, and they're so focused on building songs that it could be that they're just like, well, I mean, obviously we're a black metal band. Let's just produce it like, you know, let's produce, right? Let's produce it like a, like a black metal record. Like, Let's produce it like a Senor Valand record. Right? Yeah, the the tone, it, you know, the kind of production quality is kind of like a Senor Valand record. Um, I, I think there's one defense you could make of the tone here. Um, well, a couple. A, I think part of the thing that it proves is this is extremely heavy and aggressive music without being loud at all, mm-hmm. and uh, and it certainly proves that. I mean. There's a kind of it, 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 it wants to direct attention to the abstract, i.e., essential form of the riffs rather than to the tone. Um, but you can do that in various ways with production. Another thing to say would be um, it sounds like the whole record's being played on a scratchy gramophone. Mm-hmm. Like, almost like the sounds are coming out of the 19th century, right? Like, like a sepia black and white photograph yeah. of the Viking on the front. Yeah, yeah I, I, I get the I get the idea. Like it all, I, I I understand the conceit. I just, but I I think that maybe. But it could be a criticism. What I just said could be a criticism too. 
there could be a bit of a historical sleight of hand and an, a manneredness to that, right? It's like, okay, well, of course you're influenced by the 19th century. You're influenced by the fourth century too, or I mean, and by the by, and by four millennia BC or three millennia BC. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you are trying to bring that vision into the now. Do we need to like artificially repro- reproduce? There can be a kind of like there are productive games of artistic telephone and refraction or whatever, but there could be something a little too clever about like let's try to make the record sound as if it's from the nineteenth century, right? That game of as if is operating on too refined and too conscious a level for this kind of music. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know if that's what's happening. I I just see it as something more simply. It's like a. Uh a sort of holdover from a more traditional style of black metal that I don't see as especially necessary anymore. Yeah. I I think this record is, like, perfect as it is. <laughs> no, um, I get it, yeah. It, uh, and it however, kind of is, but. however, I wouldn't object to hearing the next record sound like have just barreling you can do raw organic and authentic sound that's easy to do with two dudes in a room and it still be huge mm-hmm. right yeah yeah fair. um yeah or um spite extreme win uh, <laughs> all of cosmocrater which is like one of my reference recordings and one of the best records ever they recorded that in three days in a um i think a Romanesque or Gothic cathedral that they had to uh, get it done in three days before the local community arts council realized what they were doing in it. Yeah, and to yeah. pull that off, you just have to be as good as Spike Extreme Wing, right? Which <laughs> Grave Pilgrim are working on, so, <laughs> so. maybe close to there. So let's go to your next sample. Sure. Uh, so I want to go to uh, Rhiannon's Wake. So as you pointed out, a lot of the um, a lot, a lot of the sort of, I don't want to call it novelty, but very offshooty stuff that occurred in the first couple records is gone, but not exactly. I think it's just been replaced with um, unusual textures and ideas mm-hmm. that, that, that fit more neatly into the aesthetic of the band. And I think Rhiannon's Wake is a really great example of it. Um, so this is a kind of... Uh, secret prog rock song. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a. I mean, I accuse that of basically all the bands in this style that there is like a sort of long-haired prog rocker at, lying at the heart of a lot of it. Um, but I think it's especially true uh, on this track uh, because this track is oriented around very surprisingly some really wonderful clean female vocals that are. A, a genuine asset to the music and don't feel like novelty seeking and feel very naturalistic despite the fact that their delivery is almost a sort of I, 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 an almost like Victorian it's uh, how would you describe it I think it's I mean gosh it's the song is basically I looked for an original of this, and I couldn't find one. I thought this might be a setting of a Scottish border ballad or something. Mm-hmm. As far as I can tell, it's not. Um, if it's uh, so, but it it sounds like one, right? Uh, so, 
I think they're literal. I think there's an opera. Tr- the credits just have an uh, an SD on vocals on this and on the title track. Mm-hmm. The vocals sneak back in at the end in a really cool way at the, at the end of the record. But um, yeah, I think she's an opera trained singer, and I think it sounds sort of like that sort of opera singer bent to a folk tune, but in a very refined way. Yeah, sounds like Victorian parlor music. I think you're right about that. Yeah, which is oh, it's, it's very interesting um, hearing that contrast with this sort of, uh, you know, perpetual, like, dusty Old West motif. But then you think of people emulating that style, you know, uh, you know cultured women of the late 19th, early 20th century frontier emulating uh, some of the social mannerisms of upper-class Victorian England, it kind of makes sense. Um, Yeah, yeah, parlor music was everywhere. Yeah. Um, So I want to play a section off the middle of this where we're going to hear some of those female vocals, and we're also going to hear some stuff that really sounds like Spite Extreme Wing on Ultra, and this is one of the mm-hmm. rare cases of an outlaw rock guy who actually does listen to fucking Spite Extreme Wing. So I'm, I'm comfortable saying... He has, he has confirmed it by email. Yes, so I am comfortable saying, at least in this case, I might have been wrong a hundred times, this is probably directly referential.
So does that seem fair that it's probably directly referential to Ultra? Yes, although specifically which, which part? I, I sort of lost focus for a minute when we were listening. Well, you'll uh, remind, remind me and uh, the people. Most of the, the material outside of the, uh, the, the vocal-driven stuff, the, the more sort of wandering, noodly, but not in a bad way stuff that's very 70s rock that was all over Ultra. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, Ultra Ultra as an album melodically is built out of, like, entirely fifths as, as like, its bulk material. Yeah, it's fifths and, and octaves. Yeah, yeah, it's nothing but fifths and octaves. Like, how can you make a fucking incredible album out of just those? They found a way. Um, and I've been stealing from it ever since in my own so, music. Um, so, yeah, I, I hear it because, yeah, Ultra has the spaghetti western aspect. Um, also, the tempo and inflection. Ultra, we've talked about, is maybe... I think I was talking about this with Hyper Shaman on the Poseidon review, but, mm-hmm. right, Ultra is maybe the closest... Spite Extreme Wing has always been sort of uh, sky music, but mm-hmm. Ultra is the closest they got to kind of an oceanic sound because it's very rolling. Mm-hmm. Um and Ultra is mostly down-tempo, and there's a ver- at least, especially relative to them, and there's a version of it that's a Doom record. There's yeah. also a version of Grave Pilgrim's Rhiannon's Wake that is a Doom song. Oh, yeah, uh, certainly. And and part of that has to do with the space that they... Spite Extreme Wing allows a lot more space in their phrases than usual. Their other records are super, super hard evacuate, mm-hmm. right? Uh, absolutely no breathing room. Um... This has a lot of um, elongated lines, pauses, more long lines, pauses, right? Yeah. I, I shouldn't do a falsetto. That's that's uh, <laughs> probably a war crime. But um, uh, I but like there's a pause. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and the way the the line is dragged out, and not in a bad way, sort of, yeah, drawn out. Let's say. Um, yeah. Well, I think. Uh, um, you know, it's very it, different from standard black metal writing, and I can see how it's like that that spite record in particular for sure. Yeah, and I th- I think that and through that there's another link, which is Ultra is you know a moment where you it, it was harder to pick up on previous records, but by the end in Ultra you're like oh my god this was sort of paradoxically long hair guitar guy music the whole time because I'm especially noticing like on that that uh, softer more muted riff during the, uh, the those lilting female vocals mm-hmm. on this track the riff underneath it is almost a sort of electric blues thing like some of the the more the the paced out low volume on the guitar um, like Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff actually. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, growing up, my dad was into a lot of these sort of electric blues styles, but it wouldn't surprise me if, if that style, that sort of 70s blurring into 80s technical technical guitar forward but not prog music yeah. was a, a substantial influence here and probably also on the Spite record as well. What do you think about Fleetwood Mac? I love Fleetwood Being, Mac. Yeah, well, obviously I love Fleetwood Mac too, but like on this song, so I tried to search the only song that came up is just Rhiannon by Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. who, and it's one of their most sort of Celtic witch songs, right? Mm-hmm. It seems to be referencing the, I think, referencing the Celtic goddess Rhiannon, who uh, Stevie Nicks associated with a witch, a, a sort of a fertility, like a Freya figure, fertility, yeah. dangerous fertility goddess. 
I think. Um, um, I, I mean, do you think that could be a reference point here because it's quite proggy and also deeply folky? And... Yeah, because we did. We I I compared something else that we reviewed somewhat recently to Fleetwood Mac as well, and I think that that is part of a milieu of like Americans, uh, you know, folk singer songwriter stuff. That is all, uh, uh, and at the very least, a subconscious influence to this whole style of music. Like, you know, where we've touched on, like, Bob Dylan in the past. Um, but it's so suffused. Aren't Fleetwood Mac from Britain, or am I an idiot? Uh, Fleetwood Mac are, uh, I believe, American? Am I tripping out completely here? Am I tripping out? Oh, no, they're, they are from London. I've always just thought Woo! of them as a, I've always thought of them as a very American band. In a way. I, yeah, but, you know, I mean, yes, there is certainly into Americana, for sure. Yes. Yeah, that's, I that that's is fascinating. I, I'm sorry, I'm a fucking idiot, guys. <laughs> I, I've been He's, I, I don't think I've ever listened to a full Fleetwood Mac album, and I just rolled the death metal guy. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, you gotta listen to Rumors now. <laughs> no, I, I've listened to a lot of it, and I, I just, I love the big Stevie hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, but, but I think that sort of era of, like, um... 60s and 70s folk singer-songwriter stuff, not necessarily just American, um, is is sort of crucial. It's crucial to the style, but it's, like I was going to say, it's so suffused into the texture and into the background radiation of just music you listened to growing up that it's yeah. almost hard to identify. I, I think the Fleetwood thing makes sense with the whole line of his, the whole sort of historical trajectory this guy is setting up, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, right, he's, where he's doing sort of Americana rooted in, uh, you know, uh, British, uh, British folk melody, right, Scotch-Irish and mm-hmm. English stuff, and, and in a sense of the European past, they are British people doing Americana in a very British way. That's also full of English folk music. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's there's some they're like uh, meeting meeting in the middle somehow. Yeah. Um, it different trajectories to the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really just wanted to. Did you have anything more to say about that? Not really. It's just very cool and. Every track on this album sounds very different, but rotates very homogeneously around a sort of aesthetic. So it's like, yeah, that's how black metal records should go. You know, they should, although the songs should be distinct on their own, but they should all sound like kind of the same song. Yeah, Rhiannon is definitely my other favorite. It gets stuck in my head in a really good way. Mm -hmm. Uh, The vocals are incredible. Um, And the way they've been mixed is really cool, too. Uh, but um, now let's talk about another standout. This is, I think he did this on the first record too, I believe, as the interlude. Um, or was there a, there's a hidden track on either the first record or the last EP, which is a, uh, a madrigal. Um, that is like Renaissance, uh, early Renaissance guitar and lute music. Uh, I, I mean, I'm probably not even defining it right, but short pieces for strummed string instruments to be performed in a courtly context. Um, early examples of sort of secular popular song um, in a high cultural setting. Uh, and he's doing it again here. So 
the the interlude for this record, instead of being, you know, six minutes of ambient bullshit, is a minute and twenty-four second performance of a madrigal by called the Silver Swan by Orlando Gibbons. You can look up the lyrics for that one. They're very short. Um, but I want to listen to it just because it's beautiful and then maybe use it to tie some threads together. just noticed the way he uses the, the guitar sort of uh he does a sort of noise fuzz out at the end of it mm-hmm. it's pretty cool manipulation of guitar noise happening throughout the solo uh throughout yeah. or throughout the, the the piece um there the, the amp is turned on in a very intentional way uh but yeah so He's just plays a magical, um, and he plays it with an electric guitar in a very different way. Um, it's aching and gorgeous. It has a, uh, it's primarily a major tonality, and it's a major, but it is a um, very fine sequence of major major chord changes that. Uh, give it a melancholy and yearning feeling not unlike that kind of um the weird touch of major tonality in the archaic torso riff i was highlighting Mm -hmm. uh that weird slide from the minor six to the uh, to the from the flat six to the six um but uh i was thinking like so classical music has always been and i guess you could just say the western classical tradition because this technically is pre-classical music but uh has always been important to black metal. Um, but you could maybe point to a a change in some of the reference points. So if you were a Swedish or Norwegian longhair in the late 80s, early 90s, right, you would be playing Bach fugues as Shred. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the learning Greek melodies, um, learning about, you know, learning Wagner in music composition classes, shit like that. Um, sort of romantic symphony and Baroque stuff. This is a... And, you know, the way you'd be doing it, right, is just... or Yeah, and, and this, is, this is a different kind of reference point, right? Renaissance solo guitar music. 
Um, and this resonates with, this is certainly the kind of classical music that Lamb trained himself on, as well as flamenco, various kinds of like, you know, Latin guitar music. Um, and certainly Maquahedal also, right, with the flamenco mm-hmm. and, and all uh, that. Ink and Fire has a lot of that too. Yeah. And so the idea of flamenco obviously is more of a folk musical form, but it has a lot to do with things like the madrigal. Uh, you can hear it coming out of a Spanish medieval and Renaissance context. Um, and uh, it's different because, you know, think about the um, Bach or Beethoven or Vivaldi route to neoclassical black metal. You get... Um, Right, barely if if like the Bach thing, right? Barreling streams of sixteenth notes. Right. Just the uh the oppressive closure of the dawn song or whatever. Uh here you have discrete musical phrases, and they're rhythmically punctuated, and then these breaks and openings give way to smooth glides, unlike anything you get in, you know soaring tremolo even if there's a smoothness to both of them uh it's um it's a different way of playing guitar and it opens up a lot of new possibilities uh and that goes back to you know the thing i was the things both of us have been saying throughout the review uh the inflected way of playing guitar on here is one sort of sea change from uh sea change from the old European black metal school that has already been going on in all these other American bands, but is especially prominent here. And we could come full circle to the role of Argus Lent. One of the, I was listening, to prepare for the review, I went back and listened to um, uh, Incorrigible and Hornets today. Uh, and um, one thing that's remarkable about his way of playing, I mean, in some sense, I think it is more black metal than death metal just because of the kinds of melodies he writes. But there's something really death metal in, in the way he's playing because of all the rhythmic punctuation. There's so much more, like, uh, there's parts of continuity, but so much more just um, rhythmic movement and choppiness and uh, push and pull in how the riffs are constructed. Um, and that's a characteristic thing uh, that's, that's been carried over into this.
All right. So, we just discussed a record that's an obvious shoe-in for album of the year, right? Or a strong contender. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're back with another record that a lot of people have been bandying about with album of the year. I saw this on Instagram. And at first, you know, you see it a couple times, you're like, yeah, that's just because this is what everyone's into now. But then I saw it enough, and from people whose taste I trusted, that I was like, well, damn, I gotta go check it out. And so we are back with Der Tod und die Langeknecht, Wir fürchten weder Tod noch Teufel. And so that's Death and the Langeknechts. That is the late medieval, early renaissance, Zweihander mercenaries. Um, and... Uh, this record, it turns out on listening to it, it, I can see why people are praising it so much. It's fucking awesome, and it's very well-rounded. Uh, but before we go further, um, I must warn people, we will at times refer to this band as absurd. Given that there are already at least two absurds, I think you can deal. (laughs) Um, so, how to explain this project? I mean, basically, it is absurd. However, it is um, Wolf from Absurd on vocals. And the main songwriter, to be fair, was never in Absurd. He was in a bunch of other bands that I don't know. Many, many of which all... sound like Absurd. <laughs> oh, there we go. Okay, so um, I think he is loosely, he's part of the same loose circle of musicians, I believe. They have, yeah. Um, but uh, his, his guitar work here is phenomenal. Um but it, it basically just continues uh, a certain thread in Absurd. Um, and it's the thread that I, I liked the best. Um, to describe how this record works, I thought we would hand it over to a perceptive YouTube comment from a guy on, on the record from a guy named uh, Drago Yuniak. I don't know, that makes me think he's a Croat, but he's probably, like, from Mexico. Um, uh, <laughs> so, to me... D-T-U-D-L, felt a lot like a spiritual successor to Absurd's Grimmig Volksmusik and Blutgericht era, or Blutgericht era, or what Absurd could have been had Wolf and Sven kept that same authentic folk sound. This, however, is a whole other level, as they have managed to find a way to be both the successor and having a new, more polished, fresh sound. So, authentic folk sound is the key thing there. Um... So absurd has always been a bit of a weird proposition, right? I remember listening to them very early because I was like, well, everyone says this is just the most punky black metal you can find and it's, you know, pagan and, you know, it's infamous and blah, 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 right? Then, you know, you try listening to Facto Le Quinter and you're like, I don't know, man. It has some bangers, but it is so clunky that at times it's unlistenable. Yeah, and if, and if you're saying that, it's it's extremely fucking clunky because you like some clunky Yeah, if I, exactly. If, I'm, if it's too clunky for the black metal guy, it's clunky. So, um, And there was a way that the band developed from this sort of um, rooted in... The band developed towards a more folky sound. Uh, and... On uh, Grimmig Volksmusik and, Bl- and Blutjericht, which were in the early 2000s, very early. Uh, these were, uh, Blutjericht was 2005, uh, and then uh, Volksmusik was also 2005, I'd and then like there was to, a compilation. Uh, uh, oh, I'd just like to point out that 
this record by uh, Der Toad it has like the same fucking album art as Blood Correct. So it's like it, like it's yeah, well, it's yeah. Blood Correct started a it, it started a whole tradition of um you know sort of uh stern uh stern and brutal chivalric German art that has become like the standard for everything that is cool in a certain wing of black metal now. I mean, it just look at the aesthetic of um What's uh, the, the guy we recently reviewed? Um, I'm now going to blank on it, but we both liked the album a lot. Uh, USBM guy with the Langeknecht on the album cover. Um, uh, Blutchfer? Yeah, Blutchfer, right? Yeah. The Blutchfer aesthetic, right? A lot of bands these days have this kind of art. Yeah, but um, this is specifically but, on the sort of like faux parchment paper with the bloodstains. No, I'm sure it's the same. I'm sure yeah. it's literally the same artist, but it's interesting to point out that... Uh, that was originally pioneered in 2005 and nobody yeah. picked it up but now it's all over the place and in a sense this is the guys who started it coming back to say uh um don't you want to thank us for these riffs mm-hmm. um yeah. and and it's it's interesting because what was characteristic about those early 2000s records they were very folky and but it was like uh I know the Grimmick Volks music comp the best, and it has these great folk covers, and it has new songs written in the same format, but they're delivered as these, like, lumbering misfits and oi combination things. There's all, like, bludgeoning power chords. Uh, Blutyrikt is a bit more developed. It has leads and textured black metal cording and stuff, but there's still a clunkiness to it, and right? there's something deliberately restricted about the folk palette. Um... And, you know, in a way, that makes sense, because they were building this kind of style, and it was 2005. Uh, But I feel like there was also this restraint to it, because they felt, well, it still needs to be an absurd record, right? It still needs to be really punky and minimalist Mm -hmm. and uh, whatever. On this new record, by changing the lineup and not calling it absurd, uh, they've sort of liberated themselves from that conceit, right? And paradoxically, this is the absurd record I always wanted to hear. What about yeah. you? <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the the whole... What people always described about absurd, the closest thing we got to it was probably around Blutkjurikt. Um, mm-hmm. but, but as you said, even that was like kind of too clunky for itself. It was like forced to... I mean, it was what you said. It was forced to adhere to a standard that, like, neither of us were that interested in. There were some cool folk melodies, but often it felt like they weren't allowed to fully be cool folk melodies. Yeah, it was was still trying to be, you know, grim. Yeah, and there was something a little, like, just clunky about the songwriting. Like, the riffs didn't totally make sense in parts. Yeah. Um, it's been massively influential, and I think maybe if I listened to it after this record, maybe I'd get more out of it. But basically, it wasn't fully satisfying, at least to this guy. Um, and this record is nothing if not fully satisfying. Uh, the death metal guy may have a few words on that. <laughs> oh, this album is fucking ridiculous. It's really good, but it's like one of the most absurd things I've ever heard. But um, psh, no, it wasn't trying, but you know. Um, so I heard, um, I think the first couple EPs by this band, um, just like totally randomly on Spotify or something, like while I was driving, mm-hmm. I just like looked at them and I looked at, you know, the band name and the album covers and I'm like, well, this seems problematic. So yeah, let's, let's listen to this real quick. Um, and I liked them, 
in general, but I felt like they felt to me a little bit like, oh man, these guys have really identified a niche in the market that has not been fully explored yet. Mm-hmm. And they seized on it. And then I realized Give the kids what they want. Exactly. Yeah. But then I realized that Wolf from Absurd was, and I was like, oh, okay, no, this is just a natural outgrowth of what they want to do. Um, this is really good and really fun and really catchy. It is also just minus the controversial history of the people involved, a record that should be played on stage at Vakken at like three or four p.m. It is, this is festival party music, fundamentally. Like, this has more to do with Amon Amarth and German folk metal than it does black metal, which is surprising because there's some really ferocious black metal parts on this. But basically, all of this runs sort of counter to what you would imagine an absurd affiliate band being in the sense that it is really, really polished, really well played, and possesses a pop sensibility that isn't ashamed of itself. Um, so some guys on the Discord were talking about this band, and apparently I, I didn't know this, and I can't really confirm it, but I just assume it to be true because it makes sense, that like a lot or even most of this band's music is like just heavily rearranged folk songs or marching songs or even covers of other bands that aren't necessarily credited. Um, Mm. Which makes sense and sort of doesn't matter because if... This is going to sound very reflexive, but it's like, if you were to do that, it would sound like this. And yeah, why wouldn't a sort of German black metal band just remake German folk songs and marching songs, which already sound kind of like black metal songs. <laughs> like, well, well, sure, I mean, sure, that's and that's the big trend these days is the sort of, like, Vothana core thing of how do you make this sound like long-lost German military music. Yeah, right. so it's like, yeah, the idea is sort of ridiculous on its face, but it's also <laughs> the most natural thing in the world, and it's kind of ridiculous that nobody thought to do it until yeah, now. Yeah, newsflash, folk band plays folk songs. I mean, it's it's a freer approach to, uh, you know, it's good that bands got, a, it's good that in hardcore and extreme metal, bands got away from the rock and roll approach of playing a standard or mm-hmm. whatever all that kind of nonsense or like, Hey, let's just do covers, man. Um, yeah. The craft, the, the idea of original songwriting and, uh, individual craftsmanship is important. Um, but you can do that in a, you don't have to be so restrictive about it. So like the grave pilgrim record, right? He has a, he plays a madrigal from the, you know, 16th century mm-hmm. or 17th century, early 17th, or he plays a, um, he writes a song that, like the Rhiannon song, very well could have a folk precedent that we don't know. Um, the uh, archaic torso is a setting of a poem. Mm-hmm. And so similarly, why wouldn't a band that's interested in folk tradition heavily rework folk songs like they already did on Grimmick Volk's music in a more obvious way? Yeah, it is... Um, it, it, it makes intuitive sense, and the sort of like relative originality at play doesn't really matter because like 
you could get to these songs by just making sort of poppy German folk black songs, like w- without yeah. directly referencing anything. And it would sound just, just like this, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah. Th- so this is really interesting and, it, you know, I, I, I think it's good and it makes sense that they have sort of partitioned this band off for its stated function, which is to create big beer spilling, you know, black folk RAC songs that just make intuitive sense. Um, I think it's really funny that it's like you have Blutyricht and then 15 years of people not caring about that style and then it becomes the biggest thing in the world and now and now Wolf is back to do a project oriented just around that. It's, it's one of those just strange meta moments in the development of heavy metal that is very silly, but makes perfect sense. It could have totally gone wrong. I mean, it could have gone wrong, but it did Oh, yeah, this could have been a pile yeah. of shit. And the yeah. fact that it's not, as far as it goes yeah. down the rabbit hole of some of these di- ideas, is a minor miracle. Yeah. There, there are parts of this that are so close to being completely unforgivable in my eyes, but they manage to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat every time. <laughs> like this, the the Landsknecht stain one has step ahead of death. This right? this um, album is a, a, a clinic on how to stick the landing for ideas that shouldn't work. <laughs> so, speaking of which, one reason they stick the landing is that so there's a version of this record that is successful, but just uh uh, but just absurd usurping the festival stage at Wacken, mm-hmm. right? Ima- imagine that. Yeah. Um, but uh, the it could just be kind of shallow and fun party music, um, dark side folk metal or mm-hmm. whatever. But um, instead, there's a lot of like love and emotional depth to the music. It's uh, the writing, the folk melodies are very authentic and have texture to them. There's not, there are many things that could essentially be folk metal or power metal riffs here. Um, and they're often wildly entertaining. Yeah. I like, but, I like how the, but, the first song opens with like a brutal, like melodic take on a Sodom riff. That's, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> There's a lot of thrash here, but also the folk melody is real, often quite elaborate, and has a sense of history in it uh, that you would not get on a similar record, and that goes with the emotional depth. So let's listen to a song that does all of that really well, uh, in addition to being a banger. This is the uh, second track, Frühlingsluft und Blauer Himmel.
when that flute comes in, I just want to scream. <laughs> it's, that, 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 is, that is hard flute. There, there's so a couple just sort of stray things. One, um, a lot of this sounds like my favorite parts of horn records. I was I I had also thought of that. Yes, and horn of course sounds just a ton like that era of absurd, mm-hmm. but way more melodic. And I wonder if there's been a bit of a uh, a back and forth there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. so there's that uh, two. That's mostly power metal riffs by volume. Um, and they're awesome. And, uh, you know, one of the, I remember when I was in high school and I would listen to power metal, I'd be like, man, this is really cool. But like, why can't they like, like scream a bunch? Like what, why did power metal with harsh vocals never end up like taking over the entire universe? Well, well now it has, we've just, we're smuggling it under the pretext of black metal. (laughs) A lot of these bands now. So you could certainly say that a lot of those are power metal riffs on an individual level. Uh, certainly the, the flute line, if you isolated it, could be in like a corny folk metal mm-hmm. record or something. But the underlying melodic sensibility and the way the chords move and the song develops is uh, just stirring and powerful folk music with a lot of mel- nuance to it. Um, so, for instance, if someone was... If a folk metal band came managed to come up with something as cool, I mean, maybe let's say they're drawing from the same material, right? Yeah. Uh, as, as the first, the main riff part, you know, you know, um, uh, if they managed to do that, they would never have come up with the sequence of major chord changes that turns it around. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, the song. I don't know. It just uh, this one. How to explain better? Right. It's uh, the lyric. The title just means spring air and blue sky. Right. Uh, this. Um, you know, maybe the lyrics are actually about, you know, um, you know, splitting heads and smashing breastplates under spring air and blue sky, but they might just be about spring air and blue sky. Yeah. Uh, and I think what this song shows is you can write, writing in the folk tradition, you can write a vigorous and even aggressive explosion of joy at the everyday, right? And at these moments when the cosmos intrudes into the everyday and interrupts you know, the humdrum human. Like, maybe the lyrics just are about, like, how sick it is when you walk outside in the spring and the wind is up and you want to thump your chest and scream. Yeah. And maybe the lyrics are about, like, the opening scene in Faust when Faust walks out of the study with, you know, Mephistopheles. But, um, this is, uh, you know, when I often come, I often come up with riffs in when I'm walking around in you know under the blue sky and the wind and they're usually very folky black metal riffs and they're not always grim mm-hmm. uh um but i always imagine screaming <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you have it's, to just just remember that you know sometimes the uh sometimes the bird in the tree that you hear as chirping is screaming and what is he screaming get off my lawn <laughs> <laughs> precisely <laughs> all right uh, let's go to mine. Uh, 
Vode Toten Wohnen. Um, this is a really interesting song. It is a huge, like, straight Schlager banger here. Uh, that after the end of this sample transitions into a minute and a half of some of the most aggressive black metal stuff on the mm -hmm. record. It just comes out of fucking nowhere and they navigate this really sharp angled transition super well. But I, I cut the sample there, so you guys are going to have to listen to it on your own, but it's, it's awesome. So there's a ton of Schlager on this and the Schlager thing is something that always seems like a really cool and natural idea to me. But it just, every other band seems to take it too far um, for me. You know, there's certain intervals that are extremely difficult to justify in something that is supposed to be a heavy metal sure. song. Um, sure, it can sound too sort of, it can sound comically cheery. Yes. Or, yeah. um, and Detoad, like, definitely um, gets close to that sometimes especially on uh, my my sample after this one uh they 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 fly very close to the sun on that one <laughs> but um but what's cool and i think what allows them to pull it off is that you know the the main songwriter behind this bile is a really really good and sophisticated guitarist and even when he's got kind of a simple direct schlager riff he refuses to let the cording be plain and unsophisticated um there's a lot of interesting chord voicings going on that allow you to have that immediate fist pumping experience but add just enough nuance to keep it from just being a repetition of those ideas Schmerz verblasst du Flimmern Die Kälte spürst du 
right, so so that for the most part is uh, just just a huge RAC song. Um, now I'm I'm gonna get to that point, but I have to kind of go on a tangent to get where I want to go. So a couple years ago, you showed off. I can't remember if it was a demo or an EP by a Japanese band called Military Shadow. Oh yeah, um, they're great, and I really like that. And I've um, I actually still listen to it. And I've turned some bandmates onto that, and they really like it too. Um, cool. Yeah. And uh, I remember um, at one point we you played a sample. You were like, you want to listen to more of a punk one or more of a metallic one? I was like, play one of the punk ones. I want to hear that. And it ended up being awesome and coming off as really metallic to me. And I remember saying on the show, um, okay, that's, that's fucking awesome. I, I love everything about that. Why can't punk sound like that? And you just said, because they're not good enough at playing guitar. <laughs> um, and... I think I, I'm saying this because so this is basically an RAC song, and RAC's one of its biggest limiting factors is that the melodies are inherently cool, but they're not good enough at guitar to do more with them. This is what happens when you put RAC in the hands of a guy who's really, really fucking good at guitar, knows how to draw shades of feeling and depth out of these sort of simple conventional ideas using elaborate chord voicings and just gussying up the riffs a little bit. Um, this is like the ideal of that sound to me. It's not getting too far from its basic sort of tough guy, oi punk roots, but it's been made more sophisticated for guys who can't just do fucking four chords and the truth anymore. You know, it's... Um, it's it's really awesome. I, I I think that they execute it incredibly well. I th I think that there's a a remarkable amount of development that occurs. I love the way that black metal intrudes on it with those more sophisticated winding trem melodies toward the end. Um, it's just an example of everything this band does really well. You know, the, using these very blunt ideas and making them more sophisticated and intricate. Yeah, yeah. That just the courting. You know, one thing you could say, I guess, developing what I was saying from the last one, it's like he he works with cool chord progressions that come with the folk songs to some extent. And then I think he adds, obviously, chord sequences of his own. From the bass chord sequences, which you could just... Which, first of all, yeah, an RAC band would never come up with because they're too indebted to, like, rock and roll, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, but... Starting with these elaborate chord progressions, then he turns them into riffs. So you get da 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 It's um there's a lot of ways he's sort of like uh dancing around the the root note in the chording or something like that. I don't I don't know exactly what. Yeah, there's a lot of cool embellishment in the chords and yeah. ways. Also, I guess what I'm saying is ways to take what could be a simple three chord progression and it becomes an eight chord progression. Yeah, it's 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 dynamic in the way that sort of, you know, low art classical music is. You know, sort of classical era, you know, early, like we were talking about with Grave Pilgrim. You know, the madrigals, the idea of this sort of like early um, music for consumption. Or I'm, I'm not sure how you phrased it exactly. Well, early secular, it was high culture secular music. Mm -hmm. So like as opposed to 
like not coming out of uh, the monasteries um, or not. Um, God, let's see. Let's let's double check on the madrigal. Um, Silver Swan. Yeah, Orlando Gibbons. It's a uh, um, sixteen twelve. Mm-hmm. Right. So just before we get the rise of Baroque music and all that, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just uh, a. I guess motets would be even earlier examples of secular popular music, but um, or secular secular art music. Yeah. But it's 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 something like that. Yeah. So I, I think what you mean is like sort of high art, low art, or song. It's like high art forms being translated into the folk song format. Yeah, yeah. Right? And you know, yeah. talk and talking about that sort of like uh you know, we've we've touched on the show before, you know, the idea that, you know, folk music is the first pop music. You know, it's mm-hmm, the it's mm-hmm. the first popular music for the consumption of yeah. the average person. You know, uh, it, it's uh and, and these guys understand the interactions between those different lineages in a way that mm-hmm. that few bands do. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, let's. You, it's your sample next as well. Yeah, so Scheiß an den Galgen. Um, here's where we get to the, op- the opening riff on this was tough for me, man. I, I, I'm not going to lie. It, it, my heart skipped a beat, and I thought this was going to be the moment this band jumped the shark. But they actually pull it the fuck off. It is one of the most just insane major key folk melodies I have ever heard in a metal song that I can fully endorse. And I think that the reason they're able to pull it off really is just a matter of contrast. Uh, These guys have such a a wonderful idea of how to arrange these songs in a high contrast way that allows them to execute these florid folk melodies without it overwhelming the sort of like fundamental tough, aggressive nature of the music, Um, which I think is something that a lot of sort of maybe younger guys trading in this style don't fully understand yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've talked about it on this show. Yeah, they they commit to that idea too hard. They don't understand that what makes it great in the original stuff they're listening to is a matter of that balance and contrast. So here's, here's some guys who were there for this style the first time around showing you how it's done.
so that 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 opening melody that just I I I have no fucking idea. Like that would cause me on any other record that would cause me to revile it immediately. But they pull it off because they put it in direct contrast with this much more directly black metal melody that still has something to do with the folk melody. It's just like working around the root notes of it. But then it's sort of, as you pointed out, exploring ideas from Immortal and shit in there. Um, Which is like really fucking hard minor chord stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like like just like mountainous Dorian, and then you do the... the, Fill it in with the broken arpeggios. Yeah, it's... uh, One of the best things about this record is the, the sheer audacity of this bitch. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. their their willingness to do stuff that is uh, requires a total leap of faith on the part of the listener that they're going to find a way to tie this back to like extreme metal. And they consistently do. I don't know if I've ever heard a band pull off melodies like this as convincingly, at least not one that goes as far in this German folk and Schlager direction. I, um, I think you're. I think you're right, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing this style, but it's like, fuck, it goes overboard a lot of the time, but these guys have have found, like, the, they have threaded the needle in such a way that it actually works. I think one reason it works for me is that it never sounds like pop punk. Like, that melody at the, that melody at the beginning, I, I mean, I guess I don't have any, it's certainly surprising. I'm not inherently against it in a black metal context, but it could sound way too chirpy. It could sound silly. But one thing about it is it's not just, if you just play a riff that has those intervals and four of the chords Mm -hmm. or a more predictable rhythm, it could sound like pop punk. But they follow the full folk melody, I assume. Yeah, it's a long melody. It's there's a whole sort of progression resolution thing that happens there. The way it's spaced rhythmically is not like even a conventional metal riff. It's like song, real earthy folk song. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I kind of buy it. I, I'm I'm not inherent immediately. It doesn't make my hackles rise necessarily, but in part because it's so authentic. The other thing I pointed out to you was like it doesn't even remind me of. RAC specifically so much as just Coxbar. Yeah. You can hear that on England Belongs to Me. Any one of the songs on that record have this kind of pub song thing, um, which I think can work in a black metal context if it's done um, with sophistication uh, and with authenticity. I think authenticity is just a big, the, the big thing for this record. It is uh, yeah. extremely it's, authentic. It's, it's nothing um, if not authentic. And, and, yeah. and, and part of the yeah. authenticity, I would say, like, comes from accepting what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this album would be so much worse if it like had gnarly production and was trying to be a black metal album. Yes, no, this this record wants to be uh this is written as accessible, immediately compelling, catchy music that you can yell in the pub before getting thrown out, right? Yeah. It's um it, it's the the other cool thing we wanted to talk about was that sort of uh the when the double double bass comes in at the end, mm-hmm. the double kick, yeah, um, beautiful uh, riff there, and it's a beautiful riff. And I, I said it sounds kind of like a winter filleth riff, except it has an immediate melodic connection to the. It's an epic minor key riff, 
but it has an immediate melodic connection to the uh, folk theme. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. Uh, yeah. Also sounds a bit like uh, Totenvok. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Like, Totenvok. Totenvok's, uh, some of their lead ideas mm-hmm. are, like, all over this record. I mean, they're they're both German. I'm guessing yeah. they're listening uh, to a lot uh, of the same stuff. So. Uh, oh, I think Totenvok was probably very influenced by Absurd. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, th- but, but that kind of, um, barreling... Uh, epic chorded Franco-Finnish stuff is is very specific to that. that I don't associate that with absurd per se. Um, yeah, but yeah, okay. So here's another one. Um, this might be this one sounds. It has a very folky sense of melody that's authentic, but this one is probably one of the furthest we get from folk melody from like folk song format here. Um, and this is Wir furchten weder tod noch teufel. So one thing I mentioned before is uh, um, one band that's really important for absurd, for absurd that you can hear from the beginning is the Misfits. Um, even if you look at the early f- photo of them, oh, there's some some yells from the street. Is there a domestic dispute? Fuck let, yeah. Let, let me check. Yeah. Shit might be getting metal. <laughs> well, it concerns us not. Anyway, the um there's a uh one of the early cover uh one, one of the early sort of photos that they have on metal archives. You can see they look like the misfits in the photo. <laughs> um and uh, this has this song is like this is one of the fast this is one of the rippers on the record so uh, and the characteristic misfits thing is what ripping D beats with power chords that are hammering away at grim and epic intervals basically root minor six minor seven right flat seven uh, and so here we have the same formula but when you throw in some spicy leads suddenly you've got heathen speed metal attack.
Oh, I kept listening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was um, uh, that's a banger. Um, and what I want to talk about first is the verses, right? Those are the ones where there's that misfits vibe, uh, which you can follow on the rhythm guitar. Um, but the lead-in riff. Um, is folky speed metal, right? That's just a maiden riff made a little more pedal pointy, right? Yeah, um, it's, it's very has, uh, very equilibrium. I've, I've mentioned them before, but that's a, uh, a a German sort of folk metal band from the mid-2000s. Actually, first album was 2005, same year as Blutierricht. Yeah, like, yeah. A lot of this sounds a lot like them. Their first couple records, but that's right. interesting. I'll check them out. Yeah, that sounds cool. But basically, yeah, it's folky in the way that Maiden was folky. Um, and then you know the sort of then you get the uh, the classic German yelling dropout. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Love it. You know, guitars drop out, and the German guy yells. Um, and that sets up this call and response with the guitars. And the guitars respond not with more of the power metal riffing, but like really nimble, fast black metal chording. Um, and so you get vocal, phrase one, vocal, phrase one. Then there's a unison, vocal and riff, which sets up a phrase two. Then there's a unison again and sets up phrase three. Really cool development of a, a sort of a melodic idea that gets spun out between all three of those phrases. Because each one of them is just like a little little phrase, um, and then we start winding up for the chorus, um, and the wind up is really funny. I can't remember the exact progression, but that's maybe one of the poppiest moments here, in that it sort of uh, builds like a Wacken song. You get this sort of pre-chorus build, and then the chorus. It's um, the chorus itself is super poppy, although it still has that RAC undertone. Um, oh yeah, no, the melody I was just humming is a thing that happens at the end. It sounds like um, it sounds like Fate's Warning or something, or like you know what I mean, like really epic USPM from the eighties. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of this that is reaching directly back to, um, like almost NWOBHM stuff, like that little harmonized guitar part mm-hmm. uh, in this. You might associate it with Melodeath, but really, it's like Iron Maiden and like full, like early, you know, seven inch NWOBHM yeah. stuff. I, I guess to be fair, I guess um, Fate's Warning isn't considered power metal, but what was the um, eh, kind of? Are. But like, it's yeah, kind of are. Um, there are other bands from that time. What was the the band from before? Ah, yeah, it's a tangent. Don't worry about it. Um, but basically, you 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 hear what I mean. That that whole sequence is really cool, and it's a part where they uh, pull off some extremely poppy moves uh, because of the aggression and black metal depth in the uh, in the verse section. Uh, then sort of earns all of the indulgence on the chorus and breakdown part. Um, one band I want to mention in connection to that part, the sort of heathen speed metal part specifically, and this record more generally, is Heldentum, 
which is part of the network of projects these guys have had. That's another band that isn't absurd, but is basically absurd, (laughs) and was kind of my favorite absurd record before this one. Uh, Highly recommend uh, Waffenwehr. And that one was... uh, Wolf was also originally doing guitars there, so I wonder if he had some influence on the writing vocals and then uh again it's a guitarist from outside the immediate scene from wolfsmond then i had unhold on bass and drums uh and that one again had really deep folky riffing it was much more of a black metal record straight up but it sort of had the middle songs were sort of doomy and intense and then the uh big slow build doom songs black doom songs and then the first track and the last track were just misfitsy speed metal rippers um and I, I hear a lot of that on this record and i love it it's i i i'm happy to say that the um of all the absurds uh the one that isn't absurd is the best 